This podcast is sponsored by QuickFi. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of What the Fintech, the podcast from the team behind Fintech Futures and the Banking Technology Magazine. My name is Paul Hindle, editor of Fintech Futures, and our guest for this episode is Bill Verhelly, CEO and founder of QuickFi. Bill, it's great to have you here and welcome to the show. Thank you, Paul. Happy to be here. So with Bill on this week, the main topic of discussion will be around equipment financing and borrowing for small businesses and innovations within the space. We'll chat about the work QuickFi is doing in this field to tackle the challenges that businesses face a little later in the show. But first, as always, is our news in number segment. This is where our guest has gone out and found a new story featuring an interesting number to discuss and get us started. So Bill, what have you brought along for us today? Paul, uh, 40% of mid-sized banks have no plans to use APIs. I thought that was a shocking number. Yes, so this is an article by Ron Shevlin that appeared in Forbes, and this figure comes from a new report by Cornerstone Advisors and commissioned by Mambu covering API strategies. The article itself also features some stats from McKinsey Research around the area as well. So, So what's your take on this number? One of the things that's so surprising to me is that in the article, it talks about the fact that of the banks that are using and implementing APIs, there tends to be really quite an internal focus. They discuss the top five reasons that banks are implementing APIs for the the number of banks that are, and uh, they really tend to be internally focused reasons uh, of the top five driving innovation for the customer is actually number five. And there's four other reasons, including uh, meeting regulatory requirements, which are higher ranked. So I just thought that statistic was insightful because I think it really shows the cultural and organizational challenges that banks face in order to change the business model. And it kind of highlights that issue of investing in technology is not always the same thing as driving innovation or delivering value for customers with new ways to do business. Uh, you can invest in technology and maybe be digging yourself deeper into old-fashioned business model as opposed to really doing something innovative for your customers. Yeah, I agree. And 40% is higher than I'd expect it to be as well. So what would you say the potential roadblocks and, and reasons why this, this number might be so high? Is it, is it regulations? Is it is it costs? Yeah, that's a great question. I think when you talk about it, regulatory gets a lot of attention. And of course, Paul, a lot of people talk about corporate culture and how you need to change the culture or the attitudes. But for me, there's actually another reason that maybe even is more challenging, especially for banks, and that's organizational design. These organizations for 40 or 50 years have been designed in a hierarchical structure with a command and control management system, very siloed, very departmentalized. And that model actually worked very, very well and made those institutions quite efficient when the business model stayed static, when the business model was the same. They could build longer and longer assembly lines and make those assembly lines more and more efficient. But things have changed in the last 10 years, particularly in the last five years. And as these new technologies are coming along that allow you to do business in entirely different ways, I think you know banks are finding that they've got themselves locked into a highly inflexible business model. And because they're not team-based, they don't have cross-functional teams that can run experiments and try new things. It's very difficult for those organizations to change. I think that's really at the root of a lot of the problem. And I think that leads to you know banks focusing on using APIs for internal reasons to address compliance issues or 
to simplify internal IT needs uh, as opposed to really thinking about their customers and how they can develop something entirely new. Thanks, Bill. And looping this back to QuickFire, then, how, how are you looking to utilize APIs? Well, um, we actually use APIs in and out of bank systems, but we've really, our, part of our strategy there, Paul, has been really to minimize them. Uh, one of the challenges for banks is that when you implement new technology, it can be very complex to do the integration. I know that a lot of the banks right now are changing core systems and there's a lot of discontent with some of the systems they have. They tend to be very complex and they're just very difficult to integrate with. So part of our strategy, Paul, has really been to make it as simple as possible and to make our solution end-to-end. So in other words, we're not taking uh, part of the process and then integrating it back into a really complex system that's embedded in the bank. We're actually solving the whole problem for the customer with a private labeled technology solution. And really, it's just at the very end of the process that we have to API back in who paid, who didn't pay, and some very fundamental data, which can be set up very easily. Here we are in part two of the podcast. This is our more interview style section where we focus the discussion into a specific industry topic or sector. We're going to dive into the main topics in just a moment, but first to start with, Bill, maybe you can tell us a little bit more about yourself and what you've been up to at QuickFire. Sure. Prior to QuickFire, I did work in the equipment finance industry in the US for about 14 or 15 years. We started an equipment finance company and grew it for almost two decades. And when we exited that business, some of my colleagues approached me and suggested that maybe if we could start with a clean sheet of paper and really use some of these exciting, new, exponentially advancing technologies, we could create an entirely different business model for equipment finance. And I think, Paul, we had an appreciation for what we were talking about a moment ago, how hard it is for companies that are organized like banks to do this internally. And we felt like by starting from a small size independently and building in these new technologies and really starting with a clean sheet of paper, we had an exciting opportunity. So uh, that's what we did. About four years ago, we uh, started Innovation Finance USA and we built this QuickFi platform, which allows business equipment buyers, people, companies that are buying business equipment to grow their business to self-serve, which is really the revolutionary part about QuickFi. In five minutes, six minutes, they can onboard themselves and actually complete a business equipment financing transaction uh, with a brand new lender in order to take a piece of equipment, for example, off of a dealer's lot. So that's the new technology. And that, that type of process previously, Paul, used to take days or weeks for the financing to be arranged and consummated. Thanks, Bill. And you touched on it there, but what would you say the main issues then with the the current financing and and lending models being employed by companies and and what should companies be doing differently? We really believe that the existing model is slow. It's needlessly adversarial. It's inefficient. And that's not just for the borrowers. That's also for the banks and equipment finance companies. And it's really costly. So I I think, you know, if you were to summarize it, I think really what QuickFi does is it helps deliver small loans efficiently to creditworthy borrowers. So in the US, for example, there is a trillion dollars each year of business equipment that's financed and a 
very large portion of that is actually pretty small increments. It might be $40,000 or $50,000 for a piece of equipment or an excavator or some type of computer or technology equipment. It could be all types of equipment. And it's very costly here for that loan to be completed because the process is so manual. It involves a lot of back and forth. It often involves meetings, phone calls, proposals, negotiations. Uh, and we've tried to really eliminate all that and streamline it into a self-service, fully automated process. Thanks. And I mean, can you go into a couple more of the challenges maybe that SMBs are facing when it comes to borrowing as well? What, what kind of roadblocks are they facing? Yeah, that's a great point. For customers, for the borrowers, it's not a very transparent process right now. Oftentimes, equipment leases are used instead of loan documents. Uh, it's difficult to determine what the interest rate is that you're paying on the financing that you're getting for the equipment for Many small businesses that are less sophisticated, uh, that's really a problem. The terms and conditions are very complex. So there's a whole host of challenges in addition to the speed and the inconvenience that really make it costly and, and sometimes perilous for small business borrowers to borrow capital. And one of the things we've done is we've taken a different approach and we've uh, put together a very borrower-friendly agreement. We have a disclosed interest rate on every single business equipment loan. We use a loan structure instead of a lease. We have no fees, no hidden costs. Everything's included in the monthly payment and the APR on every transaction, the annual percentage rate is disclosed, even though in the United States that's not required on business loans. So we really felt by bringing this kind of transparency, we can make smaller businesses comfortable financing and comfortable in financing in a model like this where it's very fast and quick and efficient. So what is QuickFi looking to do differently in the space then? And how does it solve these challenges? It's really quite different. Uh, when we have an opportunity to talk to equipment manufacturers, which Paul is typically the way we bring our product to market. For example, there's a European equipment manufacturer called Atlas Copco that sells compressors and vacuum and other types of manufacturing equipment here in the US. They sell all over the world. And we finance their equipment here in the U.S. So we have a private labeled version of the platform. So uh, a borrower would download the QuickFi app as part of the process. But the way it's set up, it would be private labeled for the partner that's referring them into the system. All of Atlas Copco's rates and terms and special promotional offers are available. And instead of the old model, Paul, where there used to be a, a financing salesperson involved, that completely goes away. And the customer is able on their own schedule 24-7, they can do this in the middle of the night or on the weekend, they're able to take their time, set up the financing, onboard themselves, look up their company, credit approve their company, establish a line of credit, and then in three simple steps, they can actually uh, complete the financing of, for example, a piece of Atlas Capco equipment, a compressor or something like that. So it really changes it all around and every part of the process is really quite different. And so far, we've just come to market with that last year. And so far, the customers have really liked it. Sounds great. And can you tell us a little bit more about the technology underpinning your solution and how that's come about? Sure. We were thinking a lot about these new technologies that are really, sometimes you say exponentially advancing. And what we mean by that is that actually the price performance of these technologies is exponentially advancing. So every 18 months or so, the price performance doubles of different capabilities that involve things like blockchain, AI, facial recognition, and so forth. So we saw these technologies emerging. And just one example would be you know facial recognition technology and what we in the US call driver's license authentication technology. 
where you can embed a microservice into your technology platform. And that microservice will authenticate a driver's license. We have 50 different types of driver's licenses in the United States with 50 different states, but it knows all 50 states and it can authenticate that it's a valid driver's license document. And then it uses facial recognition through the mobile device, the camera on the mobile device to authenticate that the user is actually the person whose photo appears on that license. And it does it with a very high degree of accuracy. So we've taken technologies like that, which really are a game changer. You think about branch banking and a lot of what drove branch banking was the fact that banks needed a physical location for people to go to, to authenticate themselves and sign loan documents. And now this technology makes it possible to do that remotely without having to go into a bank branch, but in a very, very secure way. So that's one example. Uh, We do have an AI component. We have uh, the ability to read equipment invoices in, OCR the invoice, and then an AI engine understands the document as an invoice and presents the key data points back to the user. They confirm them, and then they go ahead and finance that invoice for that new piece of equipment. The credit side of it uh, has a lot of advances. We actually have uh, the customer using the self-service model actually looks their company up and approves their company with an automated credit approval if the transaction is under $250,000, establishes a line of credit for themselves. And they do all that themselves through the mobile apps. We have a native iOS and a native Android uh, mobile app that uh, connect to the platform. And then of course our business partners participate with this and they can manage the platform through a web-based interface. So the example I gave earlier, if they wanted to, the executives at Atlas Copco could be plugged in and they could see all the transactions coming through the system and all the ones waiting for delivery for payment and any applications where there was additional information needed in order to credit, approve them. They could use the mobile capabilities of the app to go back and forth with the borrower and obtain those documents and and get the transaction approved if it didn't auto approve right through. All of the documentation is handled right through the mobile app. There's just a single digital signature to consummate the transaction. So it's really, it's, it's so different than the way the process works today that it's it's almost hard to compare it. Thanks for that, Bill. And I guess looking to the, the future then, you've mentioned quite a few technical use cases there, but what tech developments would you say the most exciting when you look forward? Yeah, that's that's a great question. So right now we're focused exclusively on the equipment finance marketplace. We do think there are other adjacent markets where some of these technologies, such as what I was describing about invoices, might be helpful. You think about factoring and receivables financing, where there's a lot of financing of invoices. Some of those technologies we're using could be repurposed for different business models that are right in adjacent business finance spaces. Another area that we're real excited about is the credit underwriting. Right now, we're using fairly traditional credit scoring mechanisms that have been used by banks here in the U.S. for many years. But we think with a 100% digital platform and a flow of smaller digital transactions, we'll really be able to move to the front, the cutting edge of new. There's really two things going on we see in the credit side. One is the use of alternative credit metrics different metrics that may help maybe predictive in terms of a borrower's ability to repay. And then there's also AI and a lot of artificial intelligence work being done on the credit side. And we think because of our flow of digital transactions, the credit side will be an area that we can really focus on. Sounds great. And I guess taking a, a more broader outlook then, whilst you're here, what was your take on the current outlook of the, the banking space as a whole? Because I know you've been vocal about um, open banking before. And how is that kind of like developing in the U.S.? 
Right. Well, I think part of our thinking there is just because we've been in the industry for a little while, we realize this is, we're trying to be self-critical here. We're not casting aspersions on anyone else, but the banking industry has become a bit insular and very inwardly focused. We've not done enough to pioneer new experiences and new business models for our customers. And I think that's really a core challenge. I think the other challenge is just, as I said earlier, the organizational design elements, the way these businesses are built, uh, it's going to be very hard to transition. There's no path from the model that's being used now for equipment finance to the new model I just described. Our old business, 70% of our employees were in sales and sales management. And as I said, we've kind of eliminated that role because now it's borrower self-service. So there's not a not an easy transition, you know, for companies that are in a different business model. And I think that's part of the challenge, you know, in any industry when things change and things digitize and new companies come in. But it's not so much about the digitization, I would say, Paul, as it is about the business model. The digitization just enables a new business model, but what's disruptive is really the business model itself. Here we are in part three of the podcast. This is the FinTech Jail. This is where we ask for an industry term, buzzword, or trend that our guest has seen or heard enough of. We will then debate whether it deserves a place in the jail or if it's already in the jail, whether it should be sprung out or has an extended um, sentence. So, Bill, what buzzword or trendy topic do you wish to lock up today? I think I'd like to lock up digital transformation, Paul. Digital transformation is mentioned in that article we started with today. And there's a quote that says 50% of banks believe they're halfway digitally transformed. (laughs) And I I guess not only don't I understand what that means, but I think that word might actually be working against us if we use it that way or those words. Yeah, for sure. So we've had we've had transformation on its own come up in the I think twice, actually, in the previous season of the podcast, once to get sentenced and then once again to have its sentence uh, extended. So it seems somewhat of a serial offender here or maybe digital transformation is the the older brother out for out for revenge. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, the original sentence, I believe, argued uh, that by default, everything should be transformative otherwise what's the actual point of doing it and then it was actually extended by arguing which i think a similar argument you'll hear that the the word is just being bandied around too much um, and is almost losing all meaning Um, and maybe that we haven't actually seen anything particularly digitally transformative for, for some time now for me i'd have to agree with that second argument and what you're arguing here is that it seems that every company must be going through some form of digital transformation constantly to make sure that you're kind of keeping up with it according to the definition of the phrase now, whereas potentially just a couple of upgrades just to keep on top of things. And maybe it's one of these things where people say something is awe-inspiring when actually it's just good. Um, um, (laughs) I agree with that, Paul. And I would even (laughs) add one more thing. That is, I think sometimes talking about digital transformation actually means investing more money on technology to bolster or slightly upgrade or slightly improve the old business model. And really what you should be doing, or maybe in your heart, what you want to do is move to an entirely new business model. Maybe you want to be 24 seven, 100% digital borrower self-service. But if you just build an app for your salespeople to be able to enter the orders more efficiently when they take the borrower to lunch, 
you've made your existing process better, but you actually haven't moved even a small amount toward your goal. And maybe in some ways you've moved away from it because now you just <laughs> spent money, uh, your limited technology budget on something that just dug you deeper into the old business model. And I, I think that is one of my challenges with digital transformation is what does it mean? It, it might not even be good. Sure. And I mean, before we come to the conclusion on this, I guess a question for you would be, are there any developments or technologies on the horizon that you consider actually transformative? Or is there something that this digital transformation phrase is actually encompassing for you? Yeah, that's a great question. Because to me, the difference, Paul, is that it's the business model that's transformative. And you can digitize something, which sort of means I'm going to automate the way I do it now. And that doesn't do much. In other words, uh, the way I think about it is years ago, it usually took at least five years from the time that new technology emerged and became available to businesses. It was five years later that it actually finally got adopted by businesses and they actually changed something about the way they did business and they approved their efficiency. So this huge lag. Now, maybe that's changed with COVID. And I think a lot of people are suggesting that cycle time may be much shorter now. But it's not really the technology emerging five years earlier that matters. It's the business model changing, the way the business conducts business, the way the behavior of the company changes in the marketplace. And I think that's one of the things that's deceiving. It's uh, The technologies are cool and they have potential, but it requires sort of an entrepreneurial effort to build a brand new way of doing business and then releasing that in the market and testing it and getting it to customers. And then that's when the impact happens. And I think sometimes we lose focus of that. We think it's something about the technology. Yeah, no, I I would agree with that. And I think um, it's safe to throw, I mean, seeing as transformation has already (laughs) been thrown in twice as well, we can definitely chuck a digital transformation. Maybe they can share a cell. Well, that's all we have time for for this episode. Thanks to Bill for joining me and, of course, to QuickFire for sponsoring this podcast. As for Fintech Futures, you can find us online at www.fintechfutures.com, on Twitter at Fintech Futures, and, of course, on LinkedIn. If you like this podcast and our other episodes, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or SoundCloud, or your favorite podcasting service to get notified about future episodes. Or, of course, you can have a look on the website and search for the podcasts on there. As always, thank you very much for your support. We'll see you for another episode of What the Fintech. But until then, goodbye. Goodbye.